you to listen to the Sharon Kleiner Hour. The power of water, global warming, and your personal health. You can learn to be more involved with your own personal environment by learning more about how to take better care of yourself and what is available to do that each day for yourself personally. That will make you very vulnerable, and it could become a pay-it-forward to others to learn more about it from you. You become a member of the environment concerns of yourself. You know, it's very challenging every day when the power of water on the earth is our life. It's everything to do with saving life and saving the earth. And this show is a very serious time and moment to give you the education that is so very important to generations and life to come that you personally find that water is very important to you every day and to everyone in the future all over the planet. Did you know that 5,000 children die a day because of bad water and poor sanitation? Did you understand that over 18 million people in West African nations that don't have adequate water, safe water to drink? Did you understand that 1.1 billion people in the world do not have even access to water and that's growing? Did you understand that 97% of the Earth's water is salt water? If the world's water is filtered into one bucket, it is said and reported only one teaspoon would be drinkable. Now think. Water is the source of life. Water is life. And as the National Geographic has said, it is the endangered species. Take it serious. But you're made up of over 50 trillion cells, and those cells have a little droplet of water molecule. That is you. That is you personally. You must learn to drink more water. And if you learn to drink more water and take your water for serious, you will pay it forward for the rest of the earth to understand we must do this together. The environment is together, but you've got to start with your own health. It is that important. So listen today very carefully with the people that we have, these special guests that come on every week. And today we have Adam Pearl, who is the owner and president of Alex and Me Company a multi-brand UV retail story. Now, I've been very excited about learning more about clothing that is going to be the future. And I am convinced with all the 30 years of my research, this is the future. Listen close today about the clothing you're wearing, the bedding you're, you're going to bed in, what's around you with those chemistries of what are you doing to learn more about protecting yourself. Then our second guest today is Vicki Wolf is the park ranger in Death Valley National Park located in California, Nevada. I think we're going to learn more about Death Valley. I was excited because Death Valley doesn't really sound as gruesome. It is so beautiful. So today uh, our show is going to be very fascinating. Listen well 
Get your notepad out and learn as much as you can. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, which is a supplement because of the dry air environment to supplement your eyes. We'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Adam Pearl. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. You're going to be listening today to Adam Pearl, who is the owner and a founder of Alex and Me company about learning more about your clothing, what you're wearing, and the ultraviolet rays and what is happening uh, with your protection uh, every day with this earth we're living on. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on your show. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, I always, when I have the guest on for the first time, I want our listeners to know more about you personally. Uh, Tell us a little bit about you. Well, my background was in investment banking and venture capital, um, and um, always wanted to get out of that business because of the hours and the devotion that it took to help other people, and wanted to try to do something on my own, but I always wanted to do something that would help the general public, and so that's not always the easiest thing to find, Um, but I did come across this company um, and purchased it about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been around 11 years, and I knew it was something that I could sink my teeth into, um, grow, and educate the public all at the same time. Now, it's a fascinating name, Alex and me. Was that the former owners that you bought from? It was, and they, Alex was the child of the original owner, and it can go for a boy or, or a girl. Oh. They thought it was an excellent way to get the message out that um, the clothing was, was fantastic for children. Mm-hmm. Um, it also kind of went along with Mommy and Me, and so it, it just seemed like a natural fit for the owner to call her company that. In now, the beginning, Adam, you, because you're the new owner, I bet you have a very uh, exciting, uh, interesting story probably about Alex um, and me. who The person who was the founder, why did they think so far ahead that the clothing manufacturing uh, was the future of for protection. Uh, did he have a, a particular mission statement he left with you, why he thought that this was the future? Well, the original owner traveled back and forth very often to Australia. Okay. And, and in Australia, the land down on her sun is always shining down there. Yeah. This clothing... Cancer, skin cancer is number one. Yep, and this cancer is on the forefront of protecting the children in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a matter of fact, that it, by law in Australia that a ch- child can't go out for recess there unless they are, have a UPF protective hat on mm-hmm. um, because they realize that most of the sun that someone gets happens when you're a child. 
Mm-hmm. And as a child, you're not always, <laughs> you know, you're not always thinking of these things or know about these things or, or want to do these things. So it's really up to parents to protect their children. Adam, you're going to bring, you just brought tears to my eyes. I'm, um, I started studying 30 years ago, and uh, I became concerned about the dry air and the problems of the environment outside the body. And I'm the founder, 12 years ago, of Save a Child's Life Foundation to recognize uh, melanoma in children. Hmm. And uh, we're having our 12th year. And uh, but uh, my field is water and hydrotherapy in the environment and dry air, and um, it is a concern. In fact, as you know, Australia and Venezuela um, is also the same thing with everyone because of the ozone layer above them. They're not supposed to be outside. It's recommended they don't be outside more than three hours a day, and this is happening on our earth today. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Uh, okay, now the person uh, that started this company then was concerned about the future and started a very uh, new uh, idea that will become, uh, in my mind, Adam, uh, because of my field and my studies, um, uh, this will be the future, is this kind of clothing, and, and it's coming. Uh, t- and so he decided... Uh, to get into involved now where did he sell to start with did he start over in australia uh did he start here in america well he started here in america and and the company originated by just importing one brand from australia and okay. selling it um to u.s residents okay um and they went they they worked at it for a few years and re, you know it's it's tougher it's a tough business if you don't know anything about business, and exactly. if your primary venue is the internet, it sounds easy to do, but there are a lot of moving parts. So it quickly became very difficult for the founder to um, continue on in operations and meet the demand mm-hmm. um, that they were getting from the U.S. residents on just a single brand. Yeah. Um, so that's when I kind of stepped in, mm-hmm. um, purchased the company uh, four years ago, and uh, we now have over three dozen brands. Um, so the company has changed drastically. We no longer focus just on children, but we run the gamut from babies to um, seniors. Good for and, you. Yeah, and so we have... Not clothing. that I am very entrepreneurish, uh, Adam. Um, I am in my late 60s, and I am very entrepreneurish through the years uh, with the, uh, the entrepreneur spirit of the founder and what he was trying to do with his mission because he was so worried about life and death. And he was so right to be... Uh, concerned about the future of the environment of dry air and the uh, and more, because what is happening today is the symptoms of dehydrated bodies are because of the problems of dry air, and go along with the uh, uh, ultraviolet rays. Um, but I did learn something, Adam, uh, to add to it, and we'll go forward with your part. But indoor conditions with that insulated window and wall became very hazardous to the fact that the body can't breathe. So if you're indoors more commonly, but then you go outdoors with not enough moisture in the air and then also the ultraviolet ray changing because of earth warming and more and climate change, that the individual body isn't able to be uh, supple enough and breathe enough moisture because it has to have that moisture to breathe. Um, Now, wanting to know more about... The clothing, um, the clothing. Uh, tell, teach us what uh, we know. What clothes are the word description? But what is the fabric? What is it made of? 
Um, that's a very good question. Um, it, the, the fabric can be any of the normal fabrics that you see out there today. It, it all depends on what the fabric's treated with or how tightly woven the fabric is. Right. And obviously some fabrics lend better for tightly woven materials vis-a-vis others like lycra and polyester and some other blends of those um, primary products um, allow you not to use chemicals on the product to gain that sun protectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have clothing that are just consist of cotton, and they're chemically treated to pretty much last and protect someone from the UV rays for up to about 20 to 30 washings, which is you know normally about a year or two, depending on how often you wear that clothing. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when so you say really chemically pro- treated... Uh, let's start back with the, and the listener and myself, because you're educating us. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say, let's start with the word uh, chemical before uh, we get into woven. So the particular fabric that you found, uh, I mean the chemical that you found, was not going to be causing a dehydration or a chemical reaction to the body because of the ultraviolet ray or whatever um, protection. What type of chemicals did you find that we need to learn to be watching for? Um, well, I, I can't give you the, the, the chemistry name of the, the product name that they, oh, okay. um, protects it. Um, I'm not in that manufacturing process okay. to the point of uh, being able to Now, can they come to your that. website and learn that? Because, you know, that is something about our environmental education that people are going to be learning more about is chemicals in the clothing. Yeah, uh, we fabric. do have it on our website. Okay. Um, the the pre- people that make the fabric, some of them are DuPont, some of them are special to- okay. specialized in this fabric. It's it, but I would say ninety percent of the the materials and the UV protection that are in the clothing are from a woven standpoint, not from a chemical standpoint. Um, and that lends well be- over the past decade, mm-hmm. where the the change of the clothing has happened dramatically. When this first came out eleven years ago, twelve years ago, and originated from Australia. The colors, the materials were heavier. The colors were unitarian. You know, you get your blues, your blacks, but now it runs the gamut. The fabric is is made out of polyester and nylon to the point where you can't even tell it's polyester or nylon. It's so soft and supple and breathable, yet protective. So when I mention chemical, it, it is there. I have to mention it because some of the clothing still has that. But a majority of the items don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, now, the woven, yeah. uh, let's learn more about woven. So they're woven tighter today or looser? Tighter. The tighter. fabric is tighter because what for sun protective clothing, you don't want that sun to penetrate through to the skin. Mm-hmm. Now that depends on how tightly woven, depending on the color. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, white will reflect the color from the fabric, mm-hmm. but we also have to make that material a lot thicker when it comes to the lighter colors mm-hmm. um, in order to do that. With the darker colors. The sun is absorbed into the yeah. fabric vis-a-vis reflective. Okay. So we're allowed to make the fabrics a little lighter. Okay. So they're all breathable to some extent, mm-hmm. some more than others, but mm-hmm. the best way to describe it is if you were wearing one of our black rash guards at the beach, mm-hmm. you would be no more cooler or hotter than not wearing a shirt. And that's the whole point, to make someone think about this, to put the shirt on, to protect them from the sun that can cause cancer or cause havoc if they're on. So what's it make it, uh, so we're educated here too, what, what is the difference between, I know we're learning it there, you, you touched on to, we didn't learn much about the chemical, but we did learn more about the, I mean the, the dyes is what we should say, mm-hmm. the dyes and the fabrics and the way they put, uh, form the fabrics. Uh, 
but the weave. Um, what makes the difference between other fabrics that you would go to normal purchasing of clothing and the protective clothing? Well, so that, explain that again. Well, primarily in the normal clothing that you'll buy at any department store or any store, uh-huh. you know, their primary concern is look. Their primary concern is style. Their primary concern is feel. And the 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 extra work that it goes in to make a clothing tighter doesn't really bring them any added value okay. um, in selling a product to the general public. So there's there the difference. Do th- you think that's the def- difference that people could notice? Uh, obviously, it's the weave. Absolutely. If you, okay. for instance, the best way to do is if you go into any kind of sports shop or um, um, and pick up a fishing shirt, you can tell that this item is is probably, and if not stated right on the fact, U, UPF protective, which mm-hmm. is a is a is is the term that's used to understand if the item is sun protective or not, and it's got to go through testing standards. Vis-a-vis a regular shirt that you might wear anywhere, it's a it's a different tightness to it, and the only reason why that Ours is that is that we prime, we focus on making sure that these could pass tests. So sometimes you'll make a shirt and you'll and you'll and you'll go through a process and because of a color or a dye or whatever it may be won't be UPF protective to a great extent. You got to go back to the drawing board and the manufacturers have to try it again. So it, it, there's a it, it, there's a lot of work that goes into it. Where when you buy a regular shirt at shirt at a store or pants or jacket or what have you. They don't focus on that, and so it's not a concern. It's all about look and price and cost. Okay. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and you and I will come back and educate further about uh, your company's partnership also with Carbon Fund, if that's okay with you, and then we'll go back into some more education about what the future will be for our clothing and more. Um, Adam, we'll be right back. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, a supplement for dry eye that's all natural. And we'll be right back with Adam Pearl, the owner and president of Alex and Me. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Adam, I wanted to ask you on uh, that you have a partnership with Carbon Fund. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we, we came to Carbon Fund through another um, nonprofit organization called 1% for the Planet, in fact. And that was founded by the... Um, by the founder of Patagonia, um, and that's part of giving 1% um, of our top-line revenues to companies such as Carbon Fund and other nonprofits that primarily focus on the environment. So Carbon Fund, which we joined, which is also partnered with Dell and JetBlue and a lot of other companies, is a company that will um, – 
Now, Patagonia is who owns that company? Patagonia is a clothing company. Okay. So, and they're, you know, we're out of the Northeast and the East Coast, and it's a very popular brand of clothing out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have stores throughout the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're primary in hiking and outdoor clothing. Um, and it's something that we are very attached to ourselves because mm-hmm. our clothing is, is made for the outdoors. And where are you located, Adam? We're located, well, we're located both in Florida and Connecticut. Our okay. offices are in Connecticut, and our warehouse ships out of uh, Florida, Pompano mm-hmm. Beach, in fact. Mm-hmm. And your corporate office is in Connecticut? Correct. Okay, and that's where you're at? Correct. Okay. Now, uh, you, the Carbon Fund, uh, you say when a person uh, buys a clothing, they're donating? Um, what we do is part of our 1% promise to um, 1% for the planet is then donated to the carbon fund. Mm-hmm. And the carbon fund goes about and takes the money that they gain from all its partners, such as us and Dell and JetBlue and a lot of other companies they can see listed on their website. Mm-hmm. And they go about um, purchasing um, forest land and reconditioning water and all these other things mm-hmm. um, that makes our company, therefore, carbon neutral. Um, which is important to us. Um, they go about trying to take those dollars and invest them where they can mm-hmm. offset whatever kind of pollutants that we do every day just mm-hmm. in conducting business, mm-hmm. um, offset in the fact that, you know, a lot of our products have to be shipped out to customers, mm-hmm. and that all creates a carbon footprint. And mm-hmm. so we feel it's very important to make sure that you know, we're rectifying any kind of damage that we may be doing just in our normal course of business. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a natural partnership considering our clothing is also a directly attributed to the ozone layer being depleted. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet here we are trying to get our clothing to people and, and have, you know, just no fault by our own, but, you know, it also, you know, aids to that greenhouse effect. Mm-hmm. So the Carbon Fund solves a lot of problems for us and, and keeps us, um, in the point of view that we always wanted to maintain. Okay. Now, on your clothing, uh, let's go back to the clothing because that is a very important uh, issue for me personally in my studies for all these years. Uh, my field is the dehydration of the body and how do we keep the moisture levels healthy. What's all symptoms because the body is made up of trillion cells. And uh, the thing is, is when you're losing moisture from the moment you were born and you left the pocket of water entered in the air you breathe at that second becomes a deciding factor, Adam, on your life. No two fingerprints alike, no two eyes alike, and no two complexions alike. The skin being the largest organ of our body to protect us, but we must have moisture in the air to live. All of Earth has to have that. Uh, The clothing future is vital. And my concern has been the types of chemistries, and you've been hearing more about chemicals that are used in fabrics uh, that are becoming very allergic to people and uh, concerns of the future of what is being done for the dyes and the types of chemistries and the shortcuts to mass produce. Um, So I believe what you're doing is the future. Uh, In countries of the world like uh, China that has the worst pollution in the air. Is there a future there for a certain clothing to be worn uh, for people to get, to protect them more from the some from the pollution and not just from the ultraviolet ray? Is there a, um, a future there? I, I believe there is. Um, you know, our clothing 
Um, perhaps, you know, I don't think there's been any studies on our particular line of clothing that could aid in, in, in keeping pollutants out. And well, I don't mean uh, keep. I'm a, I'm a believer we don't use words keep out. But is there a future there that maybe uh, people, that they would have a choice not wearing the, the chemistry that's in some of the clothing today, that they're so allergic from uh, the, the dehydration, that we're learning more about the chemistry used in the clothing. Is there a future there in protective clothing that people could wear that maybe is more toward what you are thinking, the future of what are you wearing, what is the weave, what is the chemistry? Uh, is that something that you have noticed may happen, or is that just too far in advance for maybe uh, you guys to think about today? I think that I think it's, it's not too far in advance, but I think it, it's just a bit outside what people are mm-hmm. thinking at the moment or what we're seeing. Um, we do have clients and customers that will call us and will ask very specific questions mm-hmm. on the clothing itself, um, why it's UPF protective, um, is it chemical or non-chemical. I think it's a trend that you see out there, and obviously the clothing will follow the demands of, of the mm-hmm. customers. Now, what about and dermatologists? Are you working with dermatologists and other doctors to, so they can be educated uh, with their patients more about uh, the protective clothing business is coming in the future? Um, well, we work with thousands of dermatologists across the U.S. that uh, hand out our brochures and, mm-hmm. and, and refer people directly to our, our company. Um, but that's primarily, again, just on the sun protective level, mm-hmm. um, whether they're doing that also in, um, for um, the chemicals and the skin interactions with that and allergies. I can't really speak to that. Mm-hmm. Now, on uh, the different directions you're going with education, is there any particular place where we might recognize? Are you selling in stores, or do you have just only, are you on the web? Where are you primarily selling your, uh, your clothing line? Well, we are solely an Internet company currently. Okay. And that aids us. Um, in the fact that this is a new item, um, all we, we're a very niche product here. Uh-huh. Um, it's a seasonal product for most of the people in the United States, and uh-huh. it's a specialty item. Uh-huh. Um, so the, our, our, our three- to five-year plan is obviously to open up some brick-and-mortar stores uh-huh. in the South. Um, and those would be primarily in our three largest states down in the South, is Florida, uh-huh. Texas, and California. Uh-huh. Um, so the sun's always shining down there, so they need it year-round. Um, but, you know, we don't feel that the industry is yet at that place, and that's simply because some people know about our clothing. Um, some people who know about our clothing have the clothing in their closet, and then even some people who know about the clothing that have the clothing in their closet will wear the clothing. Right. So there's a trend there. We just can't be getting too far out ahead now, of the it. The colors of the clothing, you were mentioning some of the colors. What are some of the colors of the clothing? Oh, well, let's start out like if you bought a shirt or a blouse, what are the colors of the, of the clothing? Oh, they, right, you can get anywhere from white to blue to stripes to leopard print. Okay. To, to um, you name it, we've, it's, we really got it. And that's really, you know, over the past five to eight years, it's come from the small manufacturers. But what you'll see now is companies like Patagonia, Columbia, Marmont, O'Neill. So you're, you're doing Edo. business with Columbia, which is an Oregon company, you know. Yep. And yeah. they're all getting, they're all making some of their clothing UPF protective. Okay. And so I think that is, is, is finally pushing okay. for the, uh, the protective knowledge of these clothing. Uh-huh. Now, uh, with, what is the most common sold item? Is it a hat, a shirt, a blouse? What's the most common sold item? 
Our common most sold item is really a rash guard or a swim shirt, um, and then it's complemented sometimes a by a rash guard. Shirt. It's a rash guard, and what that what, is what is a shirt it? that you can wear at the beach or a shirt that you can wear while you're swimming. Um, the children, if you see, go to the to the beach, you'll see them wearing these shirts, and you'll think they're surfer shirts. But a lot of them are not that thick, and they're they're made for children and adults to sit on the beach. You don't have to put suntan lotion under these items because it's that protective. You just have to put suntan lotion on your exposed areas, like your arms and your legs, if it's not a long sleeve. Um, we then sell an enormous amount of hats, some very stylish. We have one hat that you can wear to the beach and then go right to a black tie. Um, I mean, we have, and then we have traveling shirts and fishing shirts and board Mm -hmm. shorts and and, um, biking shorts and you name it, gardening shirts. Mm -hmm. You know, anything that you do outside, we have shirts and pants and shorts um, that you can use. But our number one item is really that garden. I think that's because, you know, again, you you can only go so far um, in the United States teaching them. It's just, it's, it's coming along. It's just going at its own pace. Oh, yeah. I can understand because I started long ago, Adam, <laughs> you know, uh, and I look back on it and I wouldn't give up because I knew the environment was dry and I knew it was going to get drier and I understood the planet that we live on, we're living with it, it's not going to live with us. In other words, we better flow, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're living on a planet, you need to learn to be more proactive with your offering products to choose from that are proactively environmental concern. And so if they're getting involved in your, in your clothing line, your fabrics weave and more, they're proactively learning more about the future of how to take better care of themselves. And then there will be a time that this will become a fashion statement, the proactiveness of wearing proper clothing to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, look at in Venezuela. It's serious. Look in Australia. And uh, then the polluted places in the world, you don't have to be out in the sun to get skin cancer. Nope. And, uh, but again, uh, what you're offering is very exciting. And tell us about the website that people can go, the, the website address, so people can go and start studying more. Um, we're located at www.alexandme.com, and that's spelled A-L-E-X-A-N-D-M-E.com, all one word. Mm-hmm. And uh, and your company is uh, the mission statement is uh, do you have a mission statement? Well, we have a couple. Of one, it's one is to be safe in the sun, and one is sun protective um, clothing for any lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And that last one is for people to really understand that you know if you're going out shopping, there's no reason to put on one of our shirts. If you're going out to mow the lawn, why not put on one of our shirts? Why mess around? If you're going to go walk the dog. You might as well put on one of our shirts, and especially now that you can't almost tell the difference between one of our shirts and a normal polo. And I will stress the, the hat, the hats, to uh, Alex, because I had a doctor here from uh, on my show recently from Texas, and Dr. Stephen Guggenheim. Yep. His field is in the skin, and he said, too, you can get uh, skin t- cancers around the ears, around the back of the neck, and they're on the nose. And uh, the thing is, is we've got to realize that the hat becomes a very f- exciting fashion statement to you to, to show to the world that you do care about your own personal environment. Yep. And that's a proactive thing. Um, in other words, Alex, what do you do to show yourself you care about yourself and the environment you're in? 
that's your choice. That's your statement about uh, like drinking water during the day. And I hope you are drinking eight to twelve glasses of water a day and not just sipping. And that's a statement to yourself. I am going to take good care of myself, and that means my health is going to affect other people and be vulnerable to proactiveness. So I would also say a hat. Uh, if anybody was going to do anything first, start with a hat and then move into your other items like the, the, the shirts. And I'm assuming most of the shirts are long-sleeved. Um, well, that's a good question. Some of them are and some of them aren't. And what we did is in the very beginning, all of them were long sleeves, mm-hmm. and that was hard for some people in the beginning to wear. So what, mm-hmm. we've, what we've seen and the trends okay. are we do sell short sleeves, they buy those. Mm-hmm. And then they move into the longer sleeves once they realize that, hey, this is not so bad. We yeah. can do this every day. Exactly. Yep. Well, is there anything you'd like to say to our audience before you go uh, as your last moment, uh, second to say uh, something about their health and uh, what is happening that you've learned that people's uh, testimonials have been to you? Obviously, you've had people come that are so allergic to the sun, they have to have your clothing. Then there's other people that still have a choice before they find out they have to have it too. We all will eventually. But is there something you'd like to say to your audience today? Absolutely, and, and it's to play off what you just said. I mean, it, it's not just about skin cancer. If you're on some kind of pharmaceuticals or if you have lupus or even your children, mm-hmm. you, can't, you won't know the damage you've done or you can't see the damage you've done until many years later, yes. and then it'll be too late. So the best thing we could say is, you know, try one of our items mm-hmm. um, and then slowly work your way into the rest of them and just, you know, be proactive about it. Um, because it's not a uh, direct line to wear the hat, you'll be good tomorrow. It's right. you gotta just gotta get a habit. habit out of it. Habit. Yep. Well, Adam, I wish you well, and uh, congratulations on buying a wonderful company that had a start for you, and to get the, at least a little dent into the futures. And the founder of that company, I'm to, should be commended to think that far ahead. But uh, you have a nice day, and. Uh, if you ever decide there's, we didn't get enough education in today, we'd like to have you on again someday. That would be terrific. Thank you. Okay, you, you have me. a nice day. You too. Bye. Well, I hope you learned a lot. Protective clothing is coming, and the fabric you're wearing is important as much as the fabric that you're laying in bed with. The fabric that you're sitting um, in a chair, the, the carpeting, the chemicals in the air are very important to you and your protection of the environment, just as much as I would say as moisture must be in the air that you don't see the ideal and correct moisture for your body to breathe. You know, it's time that we all become very proactive and think about the future of all that we need to do about our own personal environment. What are we going to learn? This show will teach. There's lots of segments on here through the period of time that you can choose from to learn more and kind of remind yourself, even if you think you know it all, kind of come back in and listen to some of the shows and and remind yourself of something that maybe you forgot or hadn't heard before. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, a supplement for dry air for the eyes, and then we're going to come back and talk to Vicki Wolf, park ranger with Death Valley National Park. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. 
When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. To reach a show host or guest during the live show, dial toll-free in North America, 866-613-1612. Or, if outside the USA and Canada, dial 001-858-268-3068. Our guest today is Vicki Wolf with the Death Valley National Park. Vicki, welcome to our show. Thanks, Sharon. Well, it's nice of you to take some time, and, you know, the show is the power of water and global warming and our health and the health of, our, of this planet, too. Um, Vicki, tell us about yourself. You're a park ranger there, and how long have you been with the park uh, system there at uh, Death Valley? I've been here in Death Valley National Park for a total of 16 years. 16 years? It's a great place. It's kept oh. me interested, kept uh-huh. me wanting to be here. Um, uh-huh. It's a fabulous area. Oh, well, you know, and I was preparing for the show today, and I've never been to Death Valley, and I know a lot of people have. I know I've talked to, but um, I, it is it, to the name, Death Valley. Uh, I, it's a beautiful location to go and visit. It's not death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how, tell us a little bit about to the rest of the world that wouldn't know uh, out there, why did they call it Death Valley? Uh, it originally got its name, as the story goes, from some 1849 gold rush pioneers that were coming uh, to California. Uh, they ended up getting a shortcut map, which was um, wrong, but uh, a number of them, uh, about 100 people, 100 people total in several different groups, ended up wandering through Death Valley. And one of the men from one of the groups died here, and it's his group, some people in his group who are said to have uh, say goodbye, Death Valley, as they finally exited the valley in um, the, so the spring of 1850. Because <laughs> it, it sounds beautiful. Describe uh, this valley, a national park located in California, Nevada. Describe it. It's just gorgeous. Um, it's an amazing place. Uh, in fact, it's so amazing it's world famous. Uh, over three-quarters of a million visitors per year come here. It's over 3 million acres in size, being the largest park in the lower 48 states. And for international listeners, that's over 1.3 million hectares. A um, bit large, uh, not quite as large as the state of Connecticut, but it's really a land of extremes. We have the lowest place in the western, uh, excuse me, in North America uh-huh. uh, at 86 meters or 282 feet below sea level. Uh-huh. Uh, we have one of the hottest places in the world. Uh, in fact, uh, it's over 105 already here, and our mm-hmm. record high temperature was 134, uh, was 57 Celsius back in uh, 1930. So what is the hottest it gets in the, in the hot season? Um, last summer we had about 129 degrees. Mm-hmm. I know in Iraq and then in uh, India they get about 135, 140. Mm-hmm. So over there you're getting about 120 is your extreme uh, heat uh, regularly over 120 and uh, as uh, official record temperatures are given other there's a, an official thermometers throughout the world 
Mm-hmm. We, we have the second highest record in the world. Okay. Now, when people come to the park, though, are there choices to come to where the hot is at and no heat, or is it all hot? Uh, summers are extreme, but, gosh, fall, winter, spring are wonderful, and lots of people come here for sightseeing, they come here for walking, for hiking, for camping, for four-wheel drive, backpacking. Now, is there a part of the park that you can come to this time of year that won't be as hot? Um, Yes, indeed. In fact, uh, though we have the lowest elevation in North America, uh, just 15 miles, just 24 kilometers from that, we have the tallest peak in the park, Mm -hmm. Telescope Peak, which is over 11,000 feet in elevation. So there's Mm -hmm. walking and sightseeing people can do in the mountains here, though it's uh, a smaller part of the park. This is primarily a a cool season park. Okay. Okay, so if people want to take advantage of the summer and the kids are out of school, there is a place to go that would be a little cooler. (laughs) Yeah, and in fact, um, you know, speaking of school kids, uh, our busiest seasons can be Christmas to New Year's and spring breaks because Mm -hmm. the temperatures are mild here then compared to so many other places. So Mm -hmm. lots of families come here. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of camping probably. Uh-huh, camping, and then, uh, yeah, there's uh, lots of lots of different things to do. In fact, uh, we have the camping and the recreational opportunities. We have ranger programs that we present, mm-hmm. so only in the fall, winter, and spring because the summer is just really hot. <laughs> now, when you say ranger program, those are for the kids? Uh, for kids, for people of all ages. Um, mm-hmm. We have the, the usual ranger walks and talks you get in National okay. Park Service areas. Uh, nature walks up wonderful canyons, plant, talks about our plants, evening slide program. So when you go on a nature walk, you've got a guide to kind of teach you. Yes, yeah, guided nature walks. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, ranger guided nature walks. Very informative and very popular. Now, your park's history started with mining. Tell us a little bit about that origination of uh, maybe it was discovered because of miners? Uh, in in part, in, in fact, in large part, um, of course, the the 1849 Gold Rush Pioneers are the first to come through here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, various other people tried mining here, but the mm-hmm. biggest mining uh, boom that really got things rolling was the borax mining mm-hmm. industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting there at Harmony Borax Works, um, everyone's heard of the famous 20-mule team wagons. That company and uh, actually descendants of it uh, we're doing mining here in the early 1900s. Now, explain to our listeners what borax mining. Uh, borax is an element. It's a boron compound, mm-hmm. and the element boron is used in lots of different products, most famously known as a soap additive from okay. the old 20-mule team commercials that many of us uh-huh. remember, though many younger people wouldn't know about. Yeah. And uh, it's used uh, in fertilizers. It's used to make glass harder so it doesn't fracture. Do they have bor- uh, borax mining over there still to this day? Uh, until just a few years ago. Oh. However, there is one of the biggest borax mines in the world down in Boron, California, about three hours south of here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's pretty much played out in this location for the time being anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about uh, lakes. You have lakes and creeks and streams and. Uh, <laughs> well, this this gets to one of your favorite topics, water. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, Vicky 
Uh, I have been called. uh, You've heard of the driest places in North America. (laughs) Uh, Vicki, you've heard of computer nerds. They call me the water nerd. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I'll take it. We'll we'll live with it for the rest of my life and everybody else's life, too. So what is the water, the sources of water there? Um, Water is um, just incredibly important in the desert. And being the driest place in North America, we get less than two inches, less than five centimeters of precipitation annually down here in the valley floor. Uh, but um, it's, it's, what can I say, the landscape is the stage and it's the water that creates what happens on the stage here in the desert, mm-hmm. where we have springs, we have life, uh, where we don't have springs, we have plants and animals that are incredibly adapted to the dry conditions here. And... Uh, Water is the key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, um, now, if your water system, does it influence other states around you? Uh, it is fed by the state of Nevada. There's an aquifer underneath the state of Nevada, mm-hmm. and uh, it's flowing downhill, and Death Valley being a low place is downhill. And this fossil water flows down through the limestone rocks, the cracks, in the aquifer, the water table underground, mm-hmm. through the faults in the mountains, mm-hmm. and emerges in springs here. And that's mm-hmm. one of the, the big issues, you know, when we think about taking care of our park here and taking care of our planet is mm-hmm. ensuring that um, that water is used wisely and that uh, it isn't used adversely upstream in the water table mm-hmm. that would... Um, yeah. That's got to be quite a, our springs here in the park. Yeah, that has to be quite an ecosystem natural wonder. Is the fact that Nevada is higher than the Death Valley National Park? So mm-hmm. it, it's how much higher elevation you got it. Yeah, yeah that has got to be an, an, an unusual. Um, now, how much higher did you say it was to, uh, than your park? Nevada? Okay, our lowest place in the park is uh, 282 feet below sea level. Mm-hmm. Which is and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't fill up with seawater because we're far away from the ocean. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, Nevada is several thousand feet higher, and there's a whole fossil water, water that first percolated into the ground during the, the, the time of the ice ages that's slowly mm-hmm. flowing underwater in the cracks in the limestone, kind of like a liquid in a slushy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Very fascinating. Now, what is, what is the animal life in uh, Death Valley uh, National Park? Uh, what do you have there? Uh, we have, gosh, a, a whole range of things. Because we have such a range in elevation, we have from low desert uh, to climate on the top of Telescope Peak equal to uh, the Arctic and subalpine areas of North America. So we have everything from uh, desert-dwelling lizards to um, trees at the top of Telescope Peak. And what like, kind of trees do you have there? Uh, we have everything from creosote bushes down in the low desert to bristlecone pines, some of the longest-lived plants on the planet up on the top of Telescope Peak. Oh, my goodness. And what are they called? Uh, bristlecone pines. Uh-huh. And it's a, a, one of the oldest uh, species on, on the planet? Um, they live a long, long time. Not too far north of here is the oldest tree on the planet up oh. in the ancient bristlecone forest. Um, Methuselah is 4,000 years old. Now, and let's describe the look of that tree uh, so the world can hear. Is it, um, does it have a large trunk? If it's, if it's old, is it got a large trunk, a spindly trunk? 
Uh, it it's wide and it has parts of its bark that are dead, but parts of it that are still living. Uh-huh. And it lives in a very dry, cold climate, so it's well-preserved, and Mm. it and its relatives are well-preserved. In fact, they don't even tell people exactly where it is in order to protect it from people who might take a souvenir (laughs) of it. Oh, yeah. But there's uh, many other plants that are uh, other bristlecone pines and uh, there's now a trail that you bristle can see. cone pine what kind of a cone is it how would we just uh, vision the cone how does it look uh it's a, a cone and there's little bristles on the bracts and uh-huh. that's how it gets its name it's mm-hmm. it's a pretty descriptive name okay okay and then the uh the on the branches uh, what color are the the um the uh Types of uh, green, let's say the uh, the branches. Uh, is it a pine trike tree? Uh, it is because we think of pine cones, and so I'm trying to picture for our audience a vision here of what that tree looks like. Uh, it's um, yeah, pine needles, pine needles, and a very twisted trunk, having withstood the test of time uh-huh. and the elements. And now, how old do you think that tree is? Have they ever said? Uh, the Methuselah, they have dated it to about 4,000 years. And oh here in Death Valley National Park, the bristle cones we have up on Telescope Peak, our tallest peak, mm-hmm. are several thousand years old. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, That's it's, we it's needed quite to hear. an we environment. Extreme environments like Death Valley tend to create potential for extreme life forms that mm-hmm. have adapted to life on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Now, what's the influence there, do you think? Because I'm a believer there's got to be moisture somewhere. Uh, for any life to live. So do you think that the, the roots are far enough down into the aquifers? Um, they live on the mountain top, so they're above the area of the aquifer. Mm-hmm. So they get just a little bit of moisture up here because we're a much drier mountain range than okay. the Sierra Nevadas where uh, you have on the western side the giant redwoods because there's so much more moisture here there than okay. on this side of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Now, where do you have, have the cricks up Desert. there? With, are there any cricks, visible cricks, um, water on the surface anywhere? Uh, we have a few small streams, and uh, those have created a real opportunity for um, fish in the middle of the desert. Uh-huh. We have pupfish. Now, have they been as there as long as the trees? Uh, they have been here since the time of the ice ages when there was okay, a lake that filled Death Valley. Okay, I'm following those trees a little bit here. Uh, to the top of depth of 600 feet. Uh-huh. And uh, they're, they're such an important part of Death Valley, the pupfish. Uh-huh. And they're called pup, P-U-P. Yeah, exactly. Pup and what fish. do they look like? Uh, they're about an inch long, and they wiggle around and flip their tails around like puppies, and ha- hence they mm-hmm. got their name Pupfish. I'll be darned. And they're Ice Age survivors uh, uh-huh. in the springs in, oh. in Death Valley in this region. And I bet the cricks are just crystal clear. Uh, some of them are clear. Some of them, you know, get a lot of algae in them okay. during the summer growing season. Because it's shallow. Excuse me? It's because the water is shallow. It's shallow and uh, just sparkles in the sunlight. And then, uh, you know, and I'm very big on this, and I, I hope you can answer this. What is the soil like there? The soil here in Death Valley? Uh-huh. Like, at, let's say, where that, the oldest tree uh, that's so old and those creeks, what's the soil like around it? Around the creeks, it's often kind of salty because we live in a, mm-hmm. um, to go back to the Ice Age lakes when, um, 
the, the climate change from the ice age to the present, the water uh, evaporated. Since we're below sea level, it couldn't flow out to the sea. It evaporated. And, you know, even pure water, or fairly pure water, like creek water, has trace elements in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so consequently, the valley floor of Death Valley is a sparkling salt landscape that looks almost so like if the sun Arctic is glisten, It'll glisten in the sun. Excuse me? It glistens in the sun. It can, yes. Yeah. Now, but I'm going to go back up to that creek at the, uh, those oldest trees and those creeks. Do they oh, okay. have, like, rocks in the creek, pebbles in the creek? Okay. The oldest trees are on the top of dry mountaintops, and the, the, the small springs are more down in the, towards the valley floor and lower okay. on the mountains. Okay. The, lower. the bristle cones live on the tops of the mountains. Uh-huh. At over ten thousand foot elevation above where the water's flowing. Okay, the so there's no visible like, water up there. Coming not down. not much. That's that's why they're so tough. They've had to live without water and in the cold. That's an ecological wonder. <laughs> they are. They're it yeah, is. They're survivors, and they have such hard. Do you remember wood. the soil around those trees? What kind of soil that is? Uh, it's just very rocky, rocky, sparse soil. There's not much of a, a soil layer on top. Okay, okay, at all. Okay, and did you ever remember what kind of rock it was? Did you ever learn that? Uh, there, it's it's not in my expertise to know what that soil okay, is. It's not a certain thing. Yeah, never yeah. heard. Okay. There's yeah, I just know it's very rock rocky when the you world, look at yeah. it, and there's uh, lichen on the rocks. Okay, there and we it's go. a sparse soil. Uh huh. So the the trees are growing very root uh, into the to the rocks that have been there for so long, and wouldn't it be fascinating to find out that they are definitely that, that the roots have gone so long, and they found some source there of in the aquifers somewhere a water influence uh, to for them to grow. Yeah, they're they're far away from the aquifer. They're on tops of the mountains, and the aquifer is down over to the east in Nevada. Mm-hmm. So they're not they're they're hundreds of miles apart. The trees are hundreds of miles from the aquifers, and mm-hmm. a much higher elevation where it's dry and cold on tops of the mountains. Mm-hmm. Now um, our time is going to be up. Is there anything you'd like to say to your audience uh, about? Uh, and I know we'll have to do another show of this one someday because this is so much to learn. Uh, I'd like to come in and learn a little bit more, too. But uh, is there a, something you'd like to leave their audience with to, for them to remember Death Valley? I would. I'd, I'd like to say that Death Valley is a fantastic, amazing place. It's full of variety and extremes. It has a world-class landscape. Uh, it is an extreme place with due to the lack of water, and it just takes a special love and patience to understand it. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to uh, get out, enjoy it, and it's important mm-hmm. to also uh, share this love with future generations and younger people so they'll understand the, the value of taking care of parks like Death Valley and other wonderful treasures that we have in our country and our world. Yeah, because people all over the world that are listening can come and learn more by coming to places like Death Valley and what is happening all over the world in their environment. And exactly. education, it sounds like you have the tour guides, which is very important for people to learn. Yeah, and I'd like to, to give our website if I could, too. You can. I'm, thank, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, www.nps, like National Park Service, .gov, that's G-O-V like government, forward slash D-E-V-A, 
like the first two letters of death, the first two letters of valley. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you all have a wonderful season coming up, and I really, we really appreciate you coming on. And one day, if you think of something we've missed today because it's so hard to get it all in, let us know, and let's have another show on this. This sounds so fascinating, uh, Vicki. And I'd like to invite you to come see this place, too. (laughs) I would love to come and see it. Right. (laughs) Okay, you have a wonderful season, and thank you for all your time and your mission of what you're doing for the park system there, because that is a very valuable environmental project you've got going just with your job. Thank you so much, and and thank you for spreading the word. You're welcome. You have a nice day. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You as well. Bye. Bye. Ooh, can you learn enough about your planet? No. You can't, and uh, we know how important it is, and uh, you're living with the planet, and for you to learn to live with the planet. Uh, it's got a mind of its own all over the world. Um, something I wanted to bring up today is the environment in your eyes. Did you know that every five seconds somebody is going blind, and every 20,000 babies is being born with a tumor and possibly could pass away? Every 10 babies being born is being diagnosed with a vision problem. Out of every 30 children born, it's a possible lazy eye. Uh, One in every 25 develop what's called a cross eye. One out of 33 is having a difficulty in error of nearsightedness. Now, how serious is that? Now, remember the day you were born, you opened up that eyelid the eye organ is being is living with the earth without having to be covered all day long by the skin. Learn more about supplementing the moisture because it's moisture coming from the air that gives you a healthier eyesight. Um, it is very important to your life and to your health. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is our sponsor, and it is the supplement, the only supplement, supplement for every day, moisturizing once or twice for the health of your eyes, for what the environment isn't giving you. Did you know that Earth has a secret? Embrace your life every precious moment. Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. 